Good morning, ladies. We have a few lively ones in the, in the group this morning. Let's pray, and we'll jump into our lesson for the morning. Our Heavenly Father, we're gathered together this morning to open your word and look to you. So I pray that you would speak to each one of us now through your Holy Spirit and through your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to begin once again by reminding you that as we're going through our study on the armor of God, I'm encouraging you to read through the book of Ephesians. So it, over these next few weeks, when you're doing your homework on lesson five, please be reading through chapter five of the book of Ephesians, okay? And always remember that the overall theme of the book is the exalted Christ, right? The one who restores people to himself, is Lord over all, and then the unity of his body, his church. So we're moving on to a new piece of the armor this morning, the shoes of peace. So we're standing firm in the power of Christ, I would say, in the power of his love, right? His all-powerful love. And we're standing strong with the belt of truth buckled around our waist, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the breastplate of righteousness firmly in place, sure, just assured that Jesus has made this great exchange because we've trusted in his sacrifice on our behalf, that we are given his righteousness. And now, the shoes. The shoes that speak of a readiness that we're to bring the gospel of peace into this dark world and wherever the Lord sends us. So we're getting this sense that we're not just standing firm, but we're also moving forward, as a friend reminded me just this morning. Okay, we're bringing light into the darkness, bringing the gospel of peace. Now, as we begin this morning, I think that it's often tempting to only define peace as the world would define it for us, as our culture would define it for us, as the absence of fear or worry or the absence of strife. So would you be willing to maybe consider a bigger view of peace? with me this morning. Peace could be defined in this way for a believer. The tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. So that's one view of looking at peace, which is a good one. I think it's based on truth. But would you have a bigger picture of peace? I remember as a little girl, do you remember this song? <coughs> Excuse me. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'm not going to go on and on, but you remember that song? And there was a Coke commercial, right? And the Coke commercial, I looked it up had young people from all over the world gathered on a hillside in Italy, and they were singing the song, and they, had the, they all had a Coke 
in their hands, right? And so the, the original wording of this song went like this, I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to hold it in my arms and keep it company. So they kind of, they said, I'd like to give the world a Coke, <laughs> right? And keep it company. And then the big line that we all know is Coke. It's the real thing, right? I, lo I do love the vision of that commercial. This idea that the, the world is supposed to be a home where everybody lives in love and everything can flourish, the apple trees and the honeybees, right? And that people are living in peace with one another. Ladies, our vision of peace needs to be expanded to think of wanting peace through the whole world. So let's look at the biblical version of peace, which is shalom. To be fully human is to live in communion with God. I'm going to say that again. To be fully human, to live as we were meant to be, is to live in communion with God. And if you look at the be beginning of Scripture and you look at Adam and Eve living in God's presence, living in relationship with God in Eden, and then the end of Scripture, when you picture he the heavenly city where God dwells in the midst of his people, these are pictures of the way things were meant to be, right? Shalom. So we can, we find in scripture that peace, it means wholeness. It means harmony. It's this picture of living in peace with God and with others. Another simple definition could be flourishing. It's life the way it should be. Cornelius Plantinga, a theologian, describes this kind of shalom. It's, it's when all nature flourishes. It's when humans are knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. And it's when all of nature and all people look to God, walk with God, lean toward God, and delight in God. In the Bible, he says, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight. It's this beautiful picture where the creator welcomes the ones that he's made and he delights in them. And because of that relationship, the way they go about living life com is completely transformed. So, when you look at this peace sign, I want you to, this is a symbol that helps me to remember this idea of shalom, peace. When you think of the vertical line at the top, it's that being restored to relationship with God, right? We know with the fall, that relationship with God was broken. But through Christ, we can be restored to relationship with God. We're at peace with God. 
And that vertical line shows that. And then the three other lines that are pointing out at the bottom, I want you to use those to help you to remember, remember these three things. When we are living in peace with God, then it changes the, our, the way we view ourselves. That's one. It changes the way that we live with others. It helps us to love others, right? To live in peace with others. And then it also gives us a new purpose, right? Adam and Eve were, were told they were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to work the garden, right? We, as God's people, are to be joining in the work that he's doing. And so that's that third line there. With that we live and work with purpose. So we were made to live in communion with God. This changes the way we see ourselves. It changes the way that we can interact and bring peace into this world, and it gives us purpose. So we were made, ladies, to live all of life as an act of worship of God in these four relationships. Shalom is the ending of hostility between us and God. It's life with God. It's life in the new kingdom of light, right? This peace, this shalom peace, can only be enjoyed when we're in relationship with him. Now, ladies, as we walked in the door this morning, we all have some situations in our lives, some people in our lives, where we think, oh, I want to pray for peace for them. I long for them to live in relationship with God so they can know that they were who they are in him, made in his image, meant to spread his image abroad in the world so that they can receive his love and be able to love others well, so that they can have life that's lived with purpose. This is what we long for, right? And not just for ourselves, not just for the ones that we know and that we love, but for everyone in this world. I think of a friend who who just yesterday shared a prayer request with me, and she put it this way. She said, I'm praying for this one dear one of mine that I love who's struggling with mental illness, and I want to ask you to pray for every single person in this world that's struggling with mental illness. She gets this idea of peace. It's not just about her own personal well-being. It's about us being part of a peace project, right? Commissioned into this world to bring peace. Jesus brings us the gospel of peace. He restores shalom to people that trust in him. We find in the Old Testament that God is peace. He made a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. And he promised one who would bring peace. And Jesus is that promised one. We find 
as we look in Paul's writing, he speaks of peace 24 times, but he speaks of peace eight times in the book of Ephesians. Now, I've given you some, a few extra scriptures in your notes there that you're welcome to look through on your own. In Ephesians, Paul does what he always does in his greetings and his closings in his letter. He always begins and ends with this blessing of grace and peace and grace and peace. It's like he's, he's um, bookending all of his letters with this idea of the gospel, right, that's given through the grace of God, and it's longing for this peace for everyone. If you open with me to Ephesians 2, we see the key text in the book of Ephesians where Paul addresses and speaks of peace. I'm going to begin with verse 12. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ. He's addressing the Gentiles here, Gentile Christians. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then he goes on to say how... the, the Jew, Jewish and the Gentile Christians are built together in one, God, one body, one temple that's the dwelling place of God. Jesus makes peace possible. He proclaims it's available. It's in him and through him that peace is enjoyed Jesus makes a way for all people, not just Jews, but everyone, to be restored to God and to live in unity with others. The the ultimate gift of peace that Jesus brings is that we're no longer God's enemies. We're invited in to be part of his own family. We're God's dearly loved daughters. We are no longer ones who are far away and without God and without hope. We've been welcomed in. We have that relationship with God. But it's fascinating here. Jesus says, that's not the only thing, or Paul says, that's not the only thing that Jesus brings. Because we've been restored to relationship with God, any dividing wall that we would put between us and other people, they're totally destroyed. 
all the barriers. And all are welcomed together as one unified body into God's presence. We've been reconciled to God through the cross. And all can be ushered into God's presence. Now, ladies, in the temple, there was a court that was just for the Gentiles. And signs have been found that actually said, it was like warning signs. They were not to go beyond the court of the Gentiles. If they tried to go further into the temple area, they would do so at risk of their lives. Okay, the penalty was death. They didn't have access to the presence of God. And those walls now have been totally destroyed. There's no one that God doesn't want to welcome in through his son, Jesus Christ. So there are to be no divisions in the church, ladies. Not over ethnic boundaries, over gender, over socioeconomic status. We live in this world that puts its people into categories. They are not to be found within God's body, the church. We're to live in unity and love. And then we find, as we look at Ephesians 6.15 today, the verse that speaks of this armor, the shoes the shoes of peace. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, we are to be heralds of peace. We look together at Isaiah 52.7 in our study this week. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Ladies, in this section of Isaiah, the people had not lived up to their side of their covenant with God. And they'd been put in exile. And they were feeling far from God. And oh, how they would long for a messenger who would bring the promise of one who would come to usher in salvation, to restore them to God. Now in Paul's day, Herods would, heralds would be used in battle. They would be runners, right? I kind of think of marathon runners, right? Who would be able to run far and long to be able to bring a message of news. God rescues and delivers sinners. And his salvation is offered to all. This is the best news ever. It's not just good news. <laughs> good doesn't seem to be a strong enough word. And ladies, we're to have our running shoes on. I should have worn my tennis today. We're the ones that should be running to share the good news, the peace that God brings 
through his son, Jesus. In your own time, feel free to look up 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20. It's that familiar verse that old that we are new creations in Christ the old way is passed is passed away and the new has come and it goes on to talk about how are we made new it's because we've been reconciled to God and we've been commissioned with the ministry of reconciliation Paul goes on to say we are ambassadors for Christ we are to be heralds of peace And not only that, we are to live in peace. Being God's own, being in relationship, enables us to walk in ways that promote harmony and flourishing for others in this world. And we have this longing for others to flourish. And how will they be drawn to our message? It's when we, as his people, live in love and unity with one another. Think of Paul's original audience. Ephesus was this big cosmopolitan city where idols were worshipped and now where both Jew and Gentile Christians are seeking to live together as brothers and sisters in Christ and know how their backgrounds were so different. But being God's sons and daughters transforms the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see others. And so Paul in Ephesians 4 urges the Ephesians, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, oh, you, you are so different. Your backgrounds are so different. Your lives have been very different. But you are to live together in unity, bearing with each other, maintaining the bond of peace that the Spirit brings. He goes on to say, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see the word one (laughs) over and over again? There's one Lord, one Father, one body. You can't be living in division with one another, you to live in unity. I love in one of Paul's closings for another one of his letters in 2 Corinthians 13, this is one of his closing blessings, closing words that he gives to another church that was struggling with division, okay? He says, finally, brothers, rejoice Aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. There's to be no division, ladies. It's so clear. Just love and unity and peace. And as heralds of the good news, the ones who've been restored to God, we are to live in peace with one another and seek the flourishing of others.
I'd like to conclude our time today with some really practical tips, once again, that I've learned from, in my class at Wheaton under Professor Scott Moreau. And it, it once again brings up this idea of putting off, right, and putting on. So if we are to seek to live in peace, then we are to fulfill the mission, the command that God gives to us through Paul in, at the end of chapter 4. In verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. See, all these things, ladies, are things that bring division, right? And conflict. So he's saying, put these off. There was a study done by John Gottman at the University of Washington, and it was actually looking at marriage relationships. But I would say that these things that we're encouraged to put off, right, need to be put off in every relationship in our lives. But John Gottman said at the end of his study, when he found four things present in a relationship, usually it ended up in the, in the relationship dissolving. And so the challenge is to put off these things that bring division. The first was criticism. People who fall for this temptation don't seem to understand the difference between a complaint and a criticism. A complaint is, is just really a statement where you're encouraging someone to make a change, right? or something to change. A criticism is when you feel like, right, you're taking it on personally, like you're not good, or like you're making that person feel. Like, if you, you better change or you're in big, big trouble, right? There's a difference between a complaint and a criticism. And we must be careful. When we're encouraging, <laughs> we want to encourage someone to change. Maybe we need to be praying <laughs> rather than complaining or criticizing. But criticism can really bring trouble in a relationship if it's constant, right? I remember, I must confess, in the early days of my marriage, Brad coming to me and saying, I'm trying so hard. Hard, but I feel like no matter what I do, I'm never going to be good enough. I had such high expectations, and I was offering too many complaints and too many criticisms, <laughs> right? I was wounding him, and good for him for having the courage to come to me and just say, I can't take this anymore. This isn't right. And it began a work in me where I realized that I needed to go to God <laughs> right? And to find life from him rather than trying to get life from my husband. And that I needed to wait on God to grow my husband and that I could be a blessing to help grow him rather than offering too many complaints and criticisms. Defensiveness. 
It's when someone is not able to admit any imperfections in themselves. Just not even able to address any sort of encouragement towards change. Contempt. It's when the criticisms are ongoing. It's continual, con- being continually critical of another person. Will often be shown through disrespect and sarcasm. It's when, ladies, we get carried away in our hearts by our anger at the other person. And we can only see their faults, their struggles, and we begin to to not value them as a person. It's when we're attacking or demeaning someone else. Contempt. And then withdrawal. This can come in the um, form of just ignoring. (laughs) Ignoring an issue, refusing to talk, or the dreaded silent treatment. It's stonewalling. It's when you make the other person feel as if they are unworthy of any kind of discussion over an issue. Now, I think it's okay at times, right? If you know that you cannot have healthy discussion because you're struggling with anger, it's okay to take a break. But to have this ongoing silent treatment and stonewalling is definitely not healthy in bringing about unity in a relationship. So those are four things. Maybe you can be praying over those. Is there a relationship that you're struggling with right now? And is, is one of these areas a place where the Lord would have you grow? Bring something out of, you know, move, put, put that off. And put on humility and gentleness and bearing with one another in love, okay? And then lastly, we put off anger and bitterness, and we put on forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think of Jesus crying out from the cross when he's suffering He's pouring out his life to bring salvation to the world. And what does he proclaim? But Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Even in the midst of his suffering, he's offering forgiveness. We've been forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us, and that forgiveness is to flow through us. This is one of the most important disciplines that we can seek to develop as we're standing firm in the midst of spiritual conflict. Forgiveness, ladies, is to be our way of life. So I've given you a few tips there. You can take some more time on your own to look through them. But forgiveness is not denying what happened. It's not letting time heal everything. It's honestly admitting the pain, the wound that comes from someone offending you. It's not justifying or excusing in any way. It's being strong enough to hold the offender accountable. Forgiveness is not waiting until the offender apologizes. (laughs) And it's not taking revenge and then choosing to forgive afterwards. (laughs) It's 
it's agreeing to take on the debt of another person's sin and accept the pain that comes with that. We are called, ladies, to live in unity. I will, I just do want to say that forgiveness and reconciliation are not necessarily the same thing. There are times when someone is unhealthy and unsafe and toxic, and we can choose to free, be, you know, be, free them and forgive them, but we may not live in close relationship with them, right? There's a song that I love by Audrey Saw that's called Run Forward. She's feeling dis- disconnected from someone that she loves, and she says this, I'll run forward. And I'm going to pray that you'll fall back. And I'm praying that grace is going to clear our path, right? And so I think of the shoes of the gospel of peace. They're running shoes, ladies. We know that we've been restored to God, and we're running out into this world to bring love and unity and to bring the good news of the gospel of peace to those that don't know it yet. Amen.